Happy Monday, OG. It's been a week, hasn't it? It has been. And the, now we got to start over. It has been the busiest week. FinCon week is always incredibly busy for us. But now, back in the basement, ready to start another week. And we always start our weeks off this way on behalf of the men and women of Navy Federal Credit Union and the men and women working here on this podcast in the basement. A big shout out to those men and women serving our country. They had a rough week too, or a long week anyway. Thank you very much for your service. And uh, let's all go stack some Benjamins together, shall we? Who's with me? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on today's show, we welcome lawyer, commentator, and author, Mel Robbins. Think you can't get to where you're going? Mel's going to help you high-five your way to success. Plus... Are annuities finally changing? Maybe. We'll explain innovation in the insurance industry during our headline segment. Later, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, and I'll thrill you with my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who are ready to help you start an amazing week. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Yes, we are. Hey, everybody. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, it is the man, the myth, the legend, the OG. I almost went into like a big beat. Yeah, why are you yelling? I'm, I'm not like even right trying here. to compete with Doug. <laughs> Don't. How are you, man? Don't. Good. I'm uh, enjoying the fall-like temperatures. It is so amazing. Here in Texas, we can actually sit outside in the middle of the day. What's that all about? definitely not used to it. Although I, I don't mind the warm weather either. So this is kind of fun. Not me. It's all good. You and Cheryl on that train. Not me. You know me. January, I'll be very happy. <laughs> Fire in the fireplace there for like three days. That's a great thing to do. We got a great show today, by the way. We've got Mel Robbins here. The Mel Robbins. If you aren't familiar with Mel and her specific brand of motivational talk, you know how some of the motivational speakers out there, OG, kind of sappy, kind of syrupy, kind of uh, just, it kind of just washes off, hmm. you know, just, yeah, yeah, it's like sugar. That's not Mel Robbins. That is not Mel Robbins at all. You're about to see she's upstairs talking to mom right now. But first this episode sponsored by state farm, you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget. Well, look no further than state farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. 
State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, we've got an incredible headline. Can't wait to dive into this topic. One that I know you're all looking forward to, annuities. So uh, let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our headline today is a wheat paper written by Pacific Life. So consider the source, right? It is an annuity insurer. But I found it interesting that someone from Pacific Life would do this. This is uh, K. Orium Williams, JD, LLM, and CFP are his designations. And it says annuity innovation in the RIA world. And I know, OG, that historically, there have been some issues with uh, RIAs, even if they liked an annuity in a situation, recommending the annuity because of all the problems with annuities. Yeah, most people just kind of shy away from them because of all all the baggage. But I also know that if the advisor was going to charge a fee, there was also some issue around uh, taxation, right? Uh, I haven't heard the issue about taxation, but... Um, they couldn't take money out of an annuity to pay an RIA fee because of the fact that it would be then... Yeah, I can see that being a, being an issue. I thought that that's been solved by now, but again, just one of the other layers of complexity, right? Yeah. This uh, piece says, so why has a retirement strategy with such utility been ignored by fiduciary financial professionals? Some professionals were discouraged by the design and complexity previously associated with annuities. The only word I take uh, some umbrage with is the word previously associated. Don't we Don't we kind of still look at annuity design and complexity for the most part and think, yeah, no thanks. Yeah, it's still going on, of course. Incompatibility was another reason. Previously, annuities could not be integrated within the fiduciary business model. Mm-hmm. The inability to fairly compensate oneself without a potential conflict of interest was historically a deal breaker for fiduciary financial professionals. Traditional annuities, and here's where traditional variable annuities really get under a lot of people's skin, charged administrative fees, mortality and expense fees, fund fees, surrender fees, and fees for optional benefits like guaranteed and covered death benefits. Cost average 3 to 4% before returns present a roadblock that fiduciary financial professionals just couldn't get past. Yeah, and then you compound it by saying a lot of those are in qualified plans and the issues that lie lie with why have a qualified account inside of a qualified account and all that sort of nonsense. So yeah, if you've got a hurdle rate of three or two or four percent a year before you even make a dollar, it's pretty tough. That's a monster number to overcome. So it says enter today's modern annuity. New fee-based annuities can save clients up to 80% in product costs when compared to traditional commission-based annuities. Okay. Stripping away some fees. Does so that excite you? Uh, sure. 80% off of 4% is still a percent left, but we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. And that's one of a few features 
One thing I like about this piece is it actually talks about why people would use an annuity. And I, and I want to walk through this because I feel like annuities as a product, and rightfully so with all those fees, get a really, really bad name. And I think that it's been justified that people say, don't use an annuity. And this piece says, though, like, well, what's the positive of annuity? Well, number one, provide guaranteed income strategies. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what they were started with, right? If you go back to the beginning of it, before all the extra stuff that you're talking about, before the product fees and before the expense ratios for the sub-accounts and before the guaranteed benefits and all that other sort of stuff were added as, you know, bells and whistles, what an annuity is, it's just a backwards life insurance policy. You put the money in and now they guarantee that you're going to take out a certain amount every single year, every single month for the rest of your life, no matter how long you live. And so it's a really great longevity tool absent inflation. The downside, even with that, is that as you start factoring in the inflation that can happen over one's lifetime, you know, you you can still run sideways on the on the long-term outcomes. But um, if you go back to a traditional annuity, the way it was built, and, and say, well, I've got this known expense, and I can pay for it with this known stream of income, uh, sometimes that is very helpful. I think for somebody who's really, really conservative, that would be just a, just a, I was going to say a lifesaver, not really a lifesaver, but I think a lot of what we want to do during our retirement years is not worry. Mm-hmm. And I think if I know I got this guaranteed income stream is at least a part of this, like don't, I don't have to worry about that. And I can put that on the back shelf. Yeah, you kind of create your own pension. I'm, yeah. I'm just super concerned about longevity and using it from, mm-hmm. with respect to inflation and the impacts there. But I think if you also think of it as a tool that you don't have to use right away, you know, and say, well, I don't have to turn it on when I'm 65. I can turn it on when I'm 82. And now that income number is going to be much higher because your likelihood of living, you know, 30 years is pretty low at 80. Uh, so you get you get that return of capital much quicker. And you're at the time and place when inflation would take over, right? You're 20 years into retirement. That's kind of when you're going to start feeling the effects of it. Second reason it says people may use annuities, de-risk portfolios by incorporating advisory indexed annuities as a bond or fixed income complement. So instead of using a bond or a fixed income piece, put an annuity in there instead. Well, right now, fixed annuities or, or index annuities, are, which are different things, have a much higher rate of return from an interest standpoint than your traditional stable value fund, you know, your cash or, well, I mean, the 10 year treasury is at one and something percent right now. So if you can go get two or three in a product that's guaranteed to produce that, you know, that's a fixed income type thing. Which is interesting because I've always heard when we talk about indexed annuities, the letters we always get from people are around, Hey, this advisor says that I can participate in the S and P 500, but not take any of the risk. This isn't saying to use it that way. This yeah. is saying, hey, use an, use an S&P 500 indexed annuity, but use it as a bond instead. Well, and that's just how the, the mechanism of it actually works. If you, It makes a bunch more sense to me, though, this way yeah. than it does the other way. Well, yeah, it doesn't make any sense the other way. No. The math works out to make it turn into a fixed income type product. It says lower taxable income for high earning clients. Uh, this is written for advisors. By relocating tax inefficient mutual funds into mirrored tax deferred sub accounts. Barf. Yeah, no, thank you. Defer and potentially reduce high taxes within irrevocable trusts. Would you go right to a life insurance policy? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody using an annuity in a irrevocable trust, but. Um, well, you yes, know, you could. stretch provisions have been taken away. We're getting a little nerdy now, guys. Uh, this is definitely inside baseball for 
for financial planners, but allow beneficiaries to control their inheritances through non-qualified stretch provision. I never thought about the fact that if you have an annuity, you could do what you used to be able to do with the stretch IRA rules. Mm -hmm. Just do it on your own. Yeah. But I still think the vast majority of annuity money is qualified. So you're talking about some small percentage of some small percentage at this point. Do you think annuities are turning the corner? That uh, with these lower fee annuities out there, stripping away all these this BS, and now we're getting the fees on some of these under 1%, that maybe we see a cost value benefit that, that uh, makes sense for some people or no? Well, we're moving in that direction, but still from a sales standpoint, they're not going to happen until the market has a substantially long and deep market correction. Yeah. Nobody cares about safety and security when your NASDAQ stock fund is going up 17%. You know, it's like, I don't need safety and security. I need twice as much of that. So they'll have their resurgence again. Sadly, I think that, um, you know, it'll be focused on the wrong people at the wrong time with the wrong product. We've been on record to say that it's not annuities that are bad. It's the application of them that are bad. So if you have a defined need that has a specific time period and a certain dollar amount associated with it, it can be a tool that you know that you can use, but you got to be careful of those all those other bells and whistles, which is why it makes it so much more complex. Which yeah. is why people just say, "I'm just going to put stay it in away. a mutual fund." Yep, stay away. Yeah, uh, well deserved reputation for not uh, for way too complex, way too many fees. Hey, it's time for our TikTok minute. OG, this is the segment of the show where we either a share a TikTok video that's inspirational and maybe motivational, or we share one that is uh, maybe not great information. Which one do you think we have today for everybody? Definitely inspirational. Well, let's see. The cool thing about this, it starts off well with our friend, Rachel Richards, hmm. who we just saw again at FinCon yeah. in, in Austin. Rachel has a monster TikTok following, and uh, 35,000 people saw this one. You'll see it in our show guide as well, but you're actually going to hear it right now. Rachel, take it away. Things that wealthy people know that the average person doesn't, part one. I'm not paying any taxes on this because I'm going to get a margin loan. And when you get loans on your stocks, you don't owe any taxes, baby. That's all you do. You get about, you get $200,000 worth of stocks mm-hmm. and you just take a loan on it. There you go. And, and the brokerage company must let you have that forever. They actually do. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, they just charge you a crap load of interest. <laughs> margin loans right now, depending on where you're at, but margin loans can be eight or 9%, depending on the amount. And um, PS, they will take your stuff if the stock market goes down. And what's really interesting that people uh, don't really appreciate or think about is you have to stay invested that entire time. So let's say that you have $200,000, the brokerage company will let you have another 200,000, right? They'll, they'll say, Hey, You've got 200,000 of Apple stock, no problem. Here's a check for 200 grand. You can do whatever you want with it. So he's kind of sort of right. You can take a loan on your money, totally fine. P.S. that the meter's running a thousand bucks a month of interest. And where do you think they take that from? They take that from your cash account, which makes you go further into margin because you're already 200,000 in the hole. And now let's say that you go, oh, I don't want to own Apple anymore. I'm going to own Amazon instead. And you sell your Apple stock. Well, that zeroes out your margin loan and your account balance at the same time. Now you have no money and no stock. Done. Hey, but you didn't pay any tax. You didn't. You didn't pay any tax. That's that's the good news. The important part. 
Oh, beware TikTok videos. Thank you for Rachel for uh, sharing that with us and uh, kind of meta us pointing to Rachel, who's pointing out another person. Good stuff there. We'll link to all of that on our show notes page. And of course, on our guide with some more links and fun stuff and our guide to the show, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker is the name of our guide. All right. I think it's time for us to move over, my friend. I got Doug coming down. Here he comes. All right. Have a seat here, Doug. Take it. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to the best part of this podcast, my trivia. Settle in, massage your temples for a moment, and prepare to have your brain blown. Ready? Here we go. What is the definition of compound interest? Can you define it? We'll see as soon as I check out Joe's mom's definition. Well, you know, what I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money, And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, we're able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now... Because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm noted intellect, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And do you have your definition of compound interest ready? Think you got this one? 
I hope it's better than Joe's mom's definition, which is that compound interest is the money you would have made on the fifth race, which was the profit from the winnings on the third and fourth race if that f***ing nomad's belly flop hadn't died on the last furlong back in the second race. Well, I'm not sure she's completely wrong. Harvard Business School Online says that compound interest, and I quote, refers to interest on interest. Rather, when you're investing or saving, compound interest is earned on the amount you deposited plus any interest you've accumulated over time. While it can grow your savings, it can also increase your debt. Compound interest is charged on the initial amount you were loaned, as well as the expenses added to your outstanding balance over time. So if Joe's mom borrowed money for that bet, which I think is what's making her a little bit itchy and scratchy today, she'll owe Louie the loan shark nearly double in about 10 days. See how it works now? Let's compound your interest in this podcast because the one and only Mel Robbins is here. Let's say hello. And here she comes down the stairs to mom's basement. It's Mel Robbins. How are you? <laughs> Hi. I'm good. What an interesting place to do this. Yeah. It's not as creepy as you thought though, right? Uh, I'll, I'll reserve <laughs> judgment on that one. She's like, I'll tell you in 20 minutes, Joe. I want to start off, uh, man, just there's so many places, Mel, that we can start here. But let's start with you. $800,000 in debt and um, having some, and I'm going to say this in air quotes. I know it's an audio podcast, but air quotes, fun with bourbon, uh, which didn't sound like you were having much fun. Tell me that story. I thought that this was a show about money and happiness. We're going to go here. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I will tell you that story. And I'll also tell you that what's uh, interesting about my career is that my brand of personal development and improving your life involves completely screwing up your life first and then having to figure out how to build a ladder to climb out of the hole that either uh, has happened to you or you've uh, dug for yourself. And so this particular moment in our life is going to take us all the way back to the year 2008. Anybody else have a terrible year in 2008, the housing recession here in the United States? I was, I was just thinking, I think half the world had a horrible 2008. Yeah. So, you know, this is not a remarkable story, but it's a relatable one. So my husband goes into the restaurant business after getting laid off from a corporate job because it had always been a dream. And the first location that he and his best friend open up a little pizza joint outside of Boston, Massachusetts is a total home run. And so we are complete morons and we cash out our entire life savings kids' college funds, 401ks. We get a home equity line because that's free money. We then max out the credit cards and we shove it all into expanding this restaurant business. Oh boy. Because what could possibly go wrong? And uh, 2008 hits. And one of the things that we've since learned is that one out of every four locations in a restaurant business will fail when you're first expanding. And it happened to be the second one. And that second one happened to be three times more expensive than we thought, happened to be a dog of a location. And so next thing you know, 2008 hits, we're upside down. The liens hit the house. We're 800 grand in debt. I lose my job. The phone is ringing off the hook by creditors. And so I finally unplug the phone. At the age of 41, I never anywhere in my life plan or on my vision board placed an image of a unemployed woman who was drunk by six o'clock at night on Manhattans, who was about to lose everything. 
But that's exactly what happened. And so when the you know what hit the fan in my life, I rose to the occasion, like a lot of high functioning adults do, by drinking myself into the ground to try to numb the pain and screaming at my husband every time I saw him. And ironically, those two things didn't really help. I was going to say, sounds healthy, Mel. What's wrong with that? (laughs) Yeah, you know, a little numbing out and anger release. Well, you know, and the other thing that happened is I would constantly give myself these pep talks at night, like, okay, that's it. Tomorrow morning, it's the new you. And the thing about life is that we know what we need to do. We do. Like, that's the easy part. I knew I needed to get a job. I knew this wasn't Chris's fault. I knew we were doing the best we could. I knew that I had to get the kids on the bus. I knew I had to stop isolating myself. I knew I had to ask my parents for help, but I couldn't make myself do those things. And so one night, as crazy as it sounds, I was sitting there basically saying to myself, that's it, Mel. Tomorrow morning when that alarm goes off, you can't lay there like a pot roast marinating in fear. You have got to get out of bed. And all of a sudden, a rocket ship launches across the television screen. And I have this crazy idea that maybe if I moved fast enough, maybe I wouldn't be in that bed when the anxiety hit. And the next morning when the alarm went off, that's the first time I use this thing I call the five second rule, which is basically the moment you have an impulse to do something, you have to move within five seconds or else your brain will kill it with anxiety or doubt or overthinking or procrastination. Those are all habits in your mind. And so the alarm goes off. I feel myself resisting. I don't want to. It's cold. I don't care. How's this going to help? And I just started counting backwards. Five, four, three, two, one. And all of a sudden I stood up. And the truth is, as I sit here and tell you this story, that was 13 years ago on a Tuesday morning in February in 2008. If I hadn't counted backwards that morning, my life would have spiraled in a different direction. And I believe that we are all one decision away from a different life. I I really believe that. I have gone on to use 54321. You know, I used it at that moment in my life to keep getting out of bed, to put down the bourbon, to stop screaming at Chris, to 54321, pick up the phone and start networking for a job. 54321, ask for help. And one decision at a time, one push at a time using this tool. I would interrupt the fear and the anxiety and the overthinking, something that psychologists call a bias towards thinking. And I started to 54321, push myself to be the kind of person that had a bias toward action. Because you can't think your way to something new. you got to act your way there. And so it was a little brain hack that I then shared on a stage in 2011. That little talk went viral and the rest is history. It's gone on to change millions of people's lives. It's been validated by incredible science. And I think one of the things that I'm the most proud of is we have veterans organizations using this 54321 to interrupt patterns associated with trauma and help vets reprogram the triggers associated with PTSD. We have pediatricians using it to help kids with OCD and anxiety. And we know of more than 111 people who have stopped themselves from attempting suicide by counting backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and asking for help. It's interesting that it seems like such a little, I hate the word hack, but it seems like this, but it does. It seems like this one little thing that changes everything. And that's the same thing here that you have with the high five. By the way, I went back when we knew you were coming on and we did some research on the high five. Do you know how long the high five has been around? No. 19. Apparently this is the first recorded high five is 1977. 
And it, w- it was the, yeah, d- doesn't it seem like it should have been around like, you know, yes. uh, like Ben Franklin's high five and, you know, all the other fathers of the country and, and everybody when, you know, we're winning the revolution or what? Nope. None of that. 1977, a baseball game between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Houston Astros. Dodgers outfielder Dusty Baker, now a very successful baseball manager as well, high-fived his teammate Glenn Burke, became a thing, and now it's led to this this super book. So, uh, Wow. But what's that's, interesting- That's so cool. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that with me. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't. What, well, I just wondered. I'm like, how long has this been around? Because you talk so much about the science- of the high five, because like a lot of people, when I start reading, okay, it's as easy, whatever, a high five. And then you go through the science of it. Holy crap, Mel. You talk about how with NBA teams, there's a correlation yes. between high fives and winning. Yes, this is bananas. So um, they did this study about high fives in the NBA and you can, you can figure out who is going to be in the championship rounds at the end of the season by examining one set of behavior in the preseason. It's the teams that have the most number of backpats, fist bumps, and high fives that go on to win. And also, it's the teams with the least number of pats on the back and high fives and fist bumps in the preseason that tend to be in the bottom. And the answer, the, the question is why? Well, the reason why is because a high five is more than a gesture. It communicates trust and partnership. Like when you think about a high five and somebody raises their hand, you never raise your hand to high five somebody and be like, you suck. That's not what the gesture means. The gesture communicates, I got you, I trust you, we're in this together, you can do this. If a teammate blows a free throw and you high five them after it, it's like, shake it off, you got this. It's all about encouragement, support, momentum, celebration, which by the way, also validated by research, is the single most motivating force on the planet, particularly when you're facing a challenge. Which is, it's so amazing to me though, how you, how you, you stumbled on this. Luckily, Mel, it didn't take uh, $800,000 of debt and a bunch of uh, Manhattans to, to get this one. No, it only took a pandemic. Now this is not a pandemic book, by the way, but the story, the origin story is about three weeks into the pandemic when at this moment in my life in uh, kind of April of 2020, I have had my daytime talk show canceled, so I've been fired from my dream job. I have had a book contract canceled, not the high five book. I wasn't even working on it then. I was trying to write another book. My publisher cancels that contract because I was a year late in distributing the manuscript. And by the way, they then wanted money back that I had already spent. The PPP loans were not a thing yet. And so I'm now thinking, how the hell am I going to make payroll? On top of that, every single speech that I had booked for a year, gone, boom, 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 gone. So now I'm triggered. 13 years ago, I was in financial freefall. Are you kidding me? I'm 51. I've worked this hard. I'm going to have to reinvent myself again. How am I going to take care of payroll? Plus, my kids are now home. College has imploded. It's a tsunami of emotions. And one morning I wake up and everybody can relate to this feeling. You wake up and you stare at the ceiling and you feel completely beaten down by life. You feel overwhelmed. And I use the five second rule, five, four, three, two, one. I drag myself out of bed. I drag myself into the bathroom. I'm standing there brushing my teeth in my underwear. As I'm brushing my teeth, I catch my reflection in the mirror. And I think, oh my God, you look like hell. And I started picking apart the woman I saw in the mirror. 
the dark circles under her eyes, the saggy neck, one boobs hanging lower than the other, the gray hairs coming in. The woman looked exhausted and beaten down. I, I actually felt sad for the person I saw in the mirror. And here's the funny thing, Joe. If you had walked into the bathroom that morning, I would have been able to spin on a dime. I would have been able to be like, Joe, I know it sucks. It's not fair. You're right, Joe. But you know what? If anybody can handle this, it's you. I would have been able to lift you up. I would have been able to motivate you. But standing there alone, overwhelmed by life, I couldn't think of a darn thing to say. And, you know, I I don't think I would have believed it because I didn't feel empowered or encouraged. I can't tell you, Mel, how many times I've been that person. Like, as I was reading this, I have been that person in so many days. And I'm sure most of us listening have been that person. Yeah, it's a very common experience. And in fact, you know, people in habit research and, you know, personal development talk a lot about morning routines, but they skip the part that everybody has a habit nobody talks about. And that is standing before the mirror and either ignoring yourself or picking yourself apart. I don't know what came over me, but for whatever reason, as cheesy as it sounds, standing there without a bra on, I hadn't even had a cup of coffee yet. I raised my hand and I gave the woman I saw a high five. And look, Joe, lightning didn't strike. It's not like I won the lot. Like, it's not like my life changed right then. I, I, you, you heard know, the I, angels? Yeah, no, it's not like, oh, that's not what happened. I literally felt this tiny, like, little kind of shift. My shoulders dropped. My chin lifted up. I laughed because it was so pathetic. But something shifted. I, I kind of felt this thing like, okay, now. Stop licking your wounds. Get out there. It was the second morning, though, Joe, that really something shifted. Again, I wake up, same overwhelm, same everything. I, five, four, three, two, one, get out of bed. I make the bed so I don't crawl back into it. I drag myself toward the bathroom. And then this is when it hit me. I felt something I have never felt in my entire life. And it's this. You know, when you go to meet a friend that you really like for a cup of coffee or something, and you're about to walk into that cafe, what do you feel? Feel uplifted. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I actually felt that. Some anticipation. myself. Yeah. Yes. You know, in 53 years of being on this planet, I have never felt that. I've felt excited to see an outfit. I felt excited to see what a hairstyle might look like. I have never felt excited to see the human being, Mel Robbins. And so I walked into the bathroom kind of with the sense that something profound was happening. And it was this weird moment because I think for the first time, I realized that every morning in the bathroom, there's me standing there and there's a human being in the mirror that needs me. And it's so easy in life to let your thoughts drift to everything you need to do for everybody else. But this moment every morning is this extraordinary moment for you. Recent research from Harvard shows that simply taking less than a minute to reflect and set an intention about how you're going to show up today as a leader, it changes your focus, it changes your productivity, it changes how you show up, which changes how you impact people. And I want you to take this moment for you. I want you to look at the human being, forget the body, look at the human being in the mirror, because that's the one person that you're going to spend your whole life with. And you've been ignoring and criticizing them. 
And I want you to simply ask yourself, how can I show up for that person? And then when you raise your hand to high five yourself, a couple things are going to happen. You need to do this five days in a row because first things first, it's going to feel weird. And you've had Charles Duhigg on the show, so you know everything about habits and you know that your brain resists any habit loop that's new and you got to break a habit loop and replace it. It's going to feel weird because just like it feels weird to write with your left hand if you're a righty, it's new. Your brain's just going to be like, oh, this is weird. I've never done this. Then one of two things are going to happen. And this is based on loads of research that we've done in the last year now that it's kind of going viral and we've talked to the world's leading experts on behavior change and neuroscience about this. People either do it and immediately have a burst of laughter or tears because they can't believe how long it's been since they've actually seen and celebrated themselves or they feel tremendous resistance. And you're more likely to feel resistance. And the reason why is so sad. So the reason why most people feel a resistance to doing this, you're going to scoff, you're going to roll your eyes, you're going to think this is stupid, is because every morning when you stand before yourself, you drag your entire past with you. Every regret, everything that you've done that you forgive me or Joe for, but you can't forgive yourself, you stand in judgment and say, this is evidence that I don't deserve a high five. My husband, when the restaurant business failed, it literally took almost six years for him to look in the mirror, Joe. I was just saying, and just, see somebody worth celebrating. Yeah, not saying I'm a failure every morning, I think would be very difficult after that. Yes. And he did for a long time. And by the way, if it's something that you didn't screw up, but you've experienced trauma or abuse or heartbreak or whatever, a lot of people drag that in and see somebody that's damaged or that's that's abused or that's unlovable or that's unworthy because of what's been done to you. And I'm sitting here telling you that if you can drag yourself out of bed, despite everything that's happened in your life, that's been done to you, that you've done, that you can't forgive yourself for, and you can stand in front of that mirror and you're still breathing and you're still trying hard to show up a little bit better, you deserve a high five and you need it. And here's the cool part. The coolest part is that your mind, body, and nervous system are actually wired to have this work for you. And I want to explain this because this is the coolest part. You can stand in front of the mirror and see a failure. But when you go to raise your hand and high five yourself and you feel that resistance, all of a sudden the resistance will go quiet because your brain will not allow you to think anything but positive thoughts when you actually high five. See, when you have either received a high five, Joe, or you've given one, what does it communicate? Happiness, success, achievement. Um, I'm good. I'm good with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, like, if you think about spectators in a marathon, they don't stand with their arms crossed at mile eight and go, yeah, you're not at the finish line. Screw you. I love, that, your last mile was really low. I'm I, not high-fiving you right I love, now. by the way, Mel, this story uh, that you told about the New York marathon, about how it's the fans and everybody I know, I'm getting ready to run a half marathon this weekend. Everybody I know that's done these long runs, it's those high fives and those fans all the way through that propel you to actually finish. You know what? You talk about how to live a rich life. You talk about earn, save, invest. You have to invest in yourself every morning. You don't have to earn encouragement and support. You just have to show up and give it to yourself because your life is long. It's a marathon and it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to run it if step by step every single day 
you show up in the mirror and you high five the person that you see. And what happens if you show up like my husband would for years and say that restaurant business failed, so I'm a failure. When you start to high five yourself, a couple things happen. The high five recognizes it's been hard. I see you. You're struggling at this mile of the race. I get it. But it also says, keep going. You deserve the support. You're trying to do harder. And it's a way for you to start to rebuild a sense of self, a sense of worth. And, you know, for folks that listen to you, this is really important because another reason why people resist it is because we believe that our worth is anchored in the amount of money we have in the bank or the car that we drive or the number on the scale or the neighborhood we live in or our skin color or the texture of our hair or whatever, something outside of us. If somebody else likes us, then I can like myself. If this person loves me, then I can love myself. It's the reverse. Your relationship with yourself is everything. You need to learn how to stand in this moment, even though the number on the scale isn't what you want it to be, even though you're not quite where you want to be yet when it comes to financial freedom, even though you're still screwing up, you need to stand there despite all that because this mile is really hard and you need to raise your hand and you need to celebrate yourself so that you can continue moving forward. It's interesting as you're talking, Mel, I've, I've followed you for quite a while and I know that. And you still invited me on the show. <laughs> and I still, <laughs> despite all that, you're still here. You're not, you're not like Miss Positive Self Talk, right? This isn't a mantra. This is science. And I know that the same science, you wrote about how the same science really helped your son uh, with his learning. Oh, yeah. So our son, uh, Oak. Uh, I write a bunch of stories about what a lousy parent I was and how I plummeted their their self-esteem in, mo in many ways uh, and the therapy bills that that's going to cause. <laughs> Hopefully so you don't do that to your kids. Um, no, but uh, one of the th interesting things is we figured out in the fourth grade that Oakley had uh, pretty severe dys dyslexia. And he happened to hide it from everybody because he was super verbal. A lot of dyslexic kids. I wonder where the verbal of, comes from. I'm sorry. I don't Just, know. Well, I'm, I, it turns no. out I'm dyslexic too. Oh, are you yeah, really? We were, oh yeah. As we were going through the testing, I turned to his pediatrician who I've known for 16 years. And I'm like, you know, do you think I'm dyslexic and ADHD? And the doc looked at me and he's like, Mel, are you out of here? You are the most ADHD dyslexic person I've ever met. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, I'm not your doctor. So anyway, we get him into this incredible school here in the Boston area that specializes in language-based learning uh, styles and disabilities. And so they have a partnership with MIT. And one day I got to see them do this neurobic. It's called neurobic interventions. And that's not a word I made up. It's, it's neurobics is a whole field of study that, about accelerating learning. And the fastest way to get your brain to form a new neural pathway is to marry aerobic or physical activity with a new thought that creates a new connection and builds a new neural pathway. And so the high five is the same thing. What they were doing with my son is they had a big board on the wall and lights would light up. And then there was a line down the middle. And whenever uh, the board lit up on the left-hand side, he had to touch it with his right hand. And same thing, touch the right side with his left hand. So I had to go across, that, his, across his body unnaturally every time. 
Correct. Yeah. Because with dyslexia, it's the neural pathways connecting across the brain that need to be stimulated to grow. Okay. And so that neurobic activity of the raised hand gesture combined with a thought, okay, over there was what was forging it. You're doing the same thing. When you raise your hand to yourself, your brain recognizes the gesture from a lifetime of doing it. And it applies the positive programming that's already in your brain to the gesture itself. Like it's absolutely bananas. I want to read you something because as I was writing this book, I got a text from one of our daughters who's a 21-year-old college student. She's at the Music Conservatory at University of Southern California. And I think that this really encapsulates the profound power of what we're talking about. So she writes to me, mom, are you getting excited about your book? By the way, I've been high-fiving myself in the mirror. And I said, oh my gosh, how's it working? And she said, well, I don't know what to say when I do it because sometimes I still look in the mirror and I think you're not as pretty as the rest of the girls. Mm. And then I say, well, you don't have to say anything. You just have to high five yourself because the high five communicates it for you. And then she said this, but what if I didn't accomplish anything today? Like I didn't work out or I didn't write a new song. Like I said, I would do I still high five myself after my shower? I said, yes. You have to keep showing up every day trying to do a little better because that alone will make you worthy of feeling supported and celebrated. You see, we have the secret to life and happiness and motivation backwards. You think you need to accomplish something to be worthy of a high five. And then she writes, wait a minute. Are you saying the fact that I exist deserves a high five? And I said, yes. And when you high five yourself for just standing there in front of the mirror, you are demonstrating that you see yourself and all of your potential. You support yourself and you believe in you and that no matter what happens today or didn't happen today, you still have your own back. And I asked her, I said, so what do you think about what I just wrote? And she said, well, I love it because it makes me feel great. And then I asked her this, I said, could you explain why it makes you feel great? Because maybe it'll help me explain it to everybody else. And she wrote this, Joe. Well, what the high five shows you is that you don't actually know how much you're always doing. And I think that once you start high-fiving yourself every single morning, it almost allows you to be more present to everything you are doing. And it helps you recognize all those small victories. And when you can compile all those small victories, you can recognize all of your accomplishments, both big and small. And eventually, you'll come to believe that you not only are worth it, but you can do anything. The book is The High Five Habit. I wish it were inspirational, Mel. I wish it was. <laughs> I've got goosebumps. I'm sitting here. Holy cow. Hey, next time you're on, you were nice enough to give us some other questions and I'm out of time, but I really want to ask you, I so want to ask you about your dead father-in-law convincing you to move. I got at some point, Mel, we got to hear that story. Oh, it's incredible. It's in the last chapter of the book. (laughs) It's Incredible. Basically, do you want me to give you the short version? Yeah, give us give us the. I kind of don't. I kind of want the full thing, but yes, short version for today. So, our dyslexic son, I made the mistake of saying because school has been such a chafe, you can choose to go to high school anywhere. I never expected him to say, "I want to go to Southern Vermont, where my grandparents live." And I'm like, "Okay, anywhere but there." Um, you realize we live in Boston, and I have a talk show in New York, and this was before the pandemic, of course, Joe. And we fought and we fought and we fought and we fought. And finally, Chris and our son were like, okay, fine, I won't do it. 
And so about a month goes by, he starts looking at schools in Boston and we're still filming the talk show. It was in January of 2020 and they book a psychic medium on the show. And the long and the short of it is her readings were jaw dropping. And at the end of the show, she looks at me. And by the way, I had not told a soul about the fact that he wanted to go to high school at this public school in Vermont. I had not told a soul that we were fighting about it. She looks at me and says, you know, are you open to being read? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, there's somebody behind you in a military uniform. And I said, it must be my grandfather, Frank Schneeberger. He was in the Navy. And she said, no, 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 this is not a naval officer. This is a decorated Air Force pilot. And I'm like, I have no idea who that is. And she said, well, I think he's related to he's he's, he's insistent on talking to you. I'm like, I, I'm telling you, I have no idea. I'm not related to a naval pilot or I mean, an Air Force pilot. And she said, does the letter K mean anything to you? And I'm like, nope. And she goes, uh, I think he's saying Ken. And I said, well, Ken is what we call my daughter. Her name is Kendall. She was named after my husband's dad who died. His name is Kenneth. And she said, could it be Kenneth? And I said, no, he was not in the Air Force. And she said, he's getting agitated. Can you verify that? And I said, I don't need to. He was an advertising executive in New York City. I knew the man for decades. Like he's not an Air Force pilot. Meanwhile, they're getting my husband on the phone in the control room. And inside that little microphone they stick in the ear, I hear the control room say, Mel, we have Chris on the phone. Turns out your father-in-law was in the Air Force Reserves in college. It had always been his dream to be an Air Force pilot. And during the exam for the pilot's test, they found out he was colorblind and he couldn't be one. This is a fact you cannot Google and it is something I never knew. So now my arms are like my hair's on, like my dead father-in-law is in the studio. Mine are here. I believe in this stuff. Mine are listening to it, by the way. I'm sure. And so he then says, she says, I don't know what this means, but he's come here because, you know, he's got a lot of grandkids, I guess. I'm like, yep. And he's like, and I guess your son is the youngest. And I'm like, yeah. And then she goes, and he's been watching him. He's really special kid. And I'm like, he is. And he said, he's come here. And she goes, I don't know what this means, but there's something about a school. I don't know (laughs) if there's like a nickname or something about his friends at a school that you don't, whatever it is about this school, you don't like it. This is so creepy. He has come here to tell you that you have to trust your son on this one. And I walked off that set and I called my husband and I said, okay, we'll move to Vermont. Wow. By the way, I spent I'm last- I'm not arguing with the dead, Joe. <laughs> I, yeah, that's beyond our pay grade. You're like, yeah, okay, cool. I'll tell you what, we, we lived last summer in Stowe, Vermont for a month and it was amazing. I, I could, mm-hmm. Vermont's so beautiful. Mel, thanks so much for spending time with us in your busy, busy day. I <laughs> loved this. I really loved this. I think you're great. You, This was so much fun. It was so cool. I also really got a lot out of it because of what you brought to it. So thank you. Well, thanks. High five for you for being you. High five, babe. <laughs> thanks a ton. You're welcome. Hi, I'm David Stein. When I'm not talking to other people about money on Money for the Rest of Us, I'm stacking Benjamins. Absolutely love talking to Mel Robbins. Just so inspirational. How about that, OG? Change your state. Do it. Yep. Change your state. Give yourself a high five. It's impossible to be angry when you're smiling at yourself in the mirror. I heard this quote the other day. 
Have you ever noticed how all the stupid people show up when you're tired? <laughs> I heard this. I heard this presented a different way, but yes, it's exactly true, right? Yes. And so, like, if you picture what a tired and like exhausted and downtrodden person looks like, just those words, you can feel like the slumping, tired, downtrodden. You know, like, you just feel that crunching of your body versus like standing up straight and your shoulders back and marching, you know, to a tune like a college, <laughs> you know, marching band or something, you know, like how could you be angry and do that? How can you be in a different state of despair when, when you're running full sprint? Like you just, if you do something like that, it immediately puts you in a different position to be able to make that's So it's, people talk about taking walks during the middle of the day. Go take a walk in the middle. Just walk around the block. Totally change your demeanor. Changes everything. Yeah. And I'm also with Mel that this, if you make this a habit, that one little high five, not going to change everything instantly, like maybe you run around the block will, but it's easy. You're in there brushing your teeth already. Just one little. Good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it. People like (laughs) they do. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, find those financial products you use every day, nowhere near best in class. Over 92% of the products available online, all ranked head to head at magnify money. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. Today, we are going to help Roy magnify his money. Say hi, Roy. Hello again, Joe, OG, and Doug. It is the one and only listener calling again from across the pond, Roy. I'm still not British but I do fancy a cup of tea from time to time. A little birdie in the stacker said, you're running out of questions to answer. And I'm big into the whole, ask not what stacking Benjamins can do for you, but what can you do for stacking Benjamins philosophy, which is why I'm calling again. I know you dislike target date funds as much as seeing people put ketchup on steak. Can you share how you personally allocate your investments percentage wise and the funds you use? I know whatever you say is for entertainment purposes only, and I don't really plan to learn anything anyway, but figured it was a good question. Thanks for everything that you do, and say hi to Doug and Mom for me. I'm still a size medium and want the holes cut out in the abs to show off my upgraded four-and-a-half-pack abs. Cheers. Upgraded four-and-a-half-pack. Four-and-a-half-pack. This is pretty good. Thanks, Roy, for the question, and uh, congratulations on the ab work. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Guys, taking care of a core day, making sure core day works. Every day's core day. Uh, I like arm day better, but... Yeah. Hey, let's talk about allocating your portfolio. Yeah, I don't think there would be any value in like talking about specific funds. A lot of the stuff that uh, we have for clients is institutional and not really available retail anyway. But from an allocation standpoint, I don't mind really kind of sharing it, so to speak, I don't think that any fixed income belongs in a portfolio that's a long-term investment portfolio. So you would be not surprised to find $0 allocated to any fixed income in my world other than cash reserve. So I've got that. But then realize if you follow that, your standard deviation is going to go up, right? You will have a bumpier ride. So so you should expect that. Yeah. There's going to be a lot more ups and downs. There's going to be a lot more variability in the day-to-day and week-to-week all of the money that's not in cash is uh, invested pretty simply, you know, have roughly 70% in US, roughly 30% outside of the US, maybe 65, 35. And then within there, I'll also break it down between big companies and small companies and also do that on the international side. And then in the uh, international side, we'll also add emerging markets. 
that's kind of the equity portfolio. We have rental real estate. So that's kind of a component to the kind of net worth as well. And the biggest thing, the biggest part of my overall net worth, so to speak, is the value of my crypto. Business. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah no. Crypto. Crypto. Well, I mean, we have some of that too. I bought uh, $500 worth of Shibubu or Shababa or whatever the latest Shibow, one was. Bow, bow. Chicka, chicka, bow, bow, wow. Chicka, bow. Yeah. I don't know. All I know is that I have 58 million of them. Wow. And um, I just need those bastards to go up to a dollar a share. <laughs> and then when you call my phone number, all you hear is, do, do, do. We're sorry. The number you've called is distant ended. There is no longer in service. He is gone. <laughs> Please check the number. Try again later. Absolutely gone. Some people like to play the ponies, like uh, like mom. OG likes to play uh, play the cryptos. So there it is. What's the greater play sin? in the cryptos? Losing, losing five hundred bucks sometime over the next decade, or finding out that the one you could have bought for five hundred is worth fifty eight million. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's some I think there's some value, Roy, in talking about not our portfolio, but how you should think about your portfolio. An analogy that I like is like a ship. I think the hull of your portfolio to OG's point should be large company stocks because large company stocks are going to go where the, the economy goes right over long periods of time. If the economy is going to continue, large company stocks are going to be the basis of that. So your biggest allocation into large company stocks, next biggest allocation for me then is international. Those will be also large company stocks, but now we're looking at, at companies around the world. I go a little smaller there because of the fact that normally, if you look at companies, a lot of uh, U.S. companies kind of lead the way. However, if you look at from 2000 to 2010, the last decade, you needed that international or your portfolio is going nowhere. This last decade, it was exactly the opposite, right? International, not going hardly anywhere and large companies doing better. I think that's the hardest part about investing is recognizing that what's happened over the last 10 years or 12 years is not likely to be what happens over the next 10 or 12. Because we have that significant recency bias. And I'm seeing it quite a lot right now in the tech space and in basically NASDAQ funds, right? Like if I can dump money into NASDAQ and NASDAQ is basically all of your big tech companies in the United States and globally. And so I'm going to put a whole bunch of money in tech. And it's also, by the way, gone up a bajillion percent in the last eight years so why should I do anything different? And and I and I say, what happened from 1999 through 2015? Just look at the chart. I remember in March of 2000, the Nasdaq hitting 5,000, and then it went down and didn't hit 5,000 again until this past decade. Like it was down for 15 years. And I here- saw this mistake recently with a really smart person online, not not an investment pro but somebody who does a lot of research and they said, Hey, I'm looking at the S and P 500. You know how much of the S and P 500 right now is just Amazon and Apple, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Facebook, and Google. Yes. 50%. But just take Amazon and Apple. Those two, they're still the monster part of those companies. So he said, forget buying the S and P 500. Those two stocks, if you own them in the last 10 years have just rocked your portfolio. I'm not buying the other 490. I'm not buying anything. I'm buying just Amazon and Apple. Yeah. And I thought that's that's your recency bias right there. Yeah. What did well the last ten years is not what's what's going to do. It and isn't then, what's going to. And, gonna then, per- and then look at look at during COVID last year, September through May. What did well from September through May? Small company value stocks, large value stocks. In fact, 
the small value section of your portfolio did so much better from September to May that it erased the 10-year gain that tech had, had you had it for the whole 10-year period. And, and you wow. think about you had to hold small value for nine and a half years getting your face kicked in. So I don't think that the right thing is to say, you know, here's how much money you should have in large cap or here's how much money you should have in small companies or whatever. You have to do whatever you need to do to reach your goal, but recognize that you have to do it forever this way. There is no changing. And the minute that you do is the time when all of a sudden, you know, life's going to happen or the the market's going to go the other way on you or whatever. So it matters not what your allocation is. It matters whether or not you can actually keep the allocation. Yeah. TM. The, the third, the third, the third allocation, if you want another one is uh, what I think of as the spinnaker sale, which is a sale that they put up when the wind's really blowing. And this will be your smaller allocations to things like inside of that uh, international position, having a sliver be a spinnaker, which will be the emerging markets that, that OG is talking about or on the U S side or heck anywhere, the, the small cap stuff that, uh, that you're talking about. Yeah. You could add commodities in there as a great example. There's all sorts of different places you can put your money, but realize what a spinnaker sale does. If that wind's not blowing in that specific spot, it just, it's dead weight in your portfolio. And and those things are either going to be great or they're going to be nothing which is why I always go, that's my third biggest allocation. So I kind of think all the ship large companies, uh, US-based, that the sale is the large cap international, and then the spinnaker is going to be your emerging market, small cap, et cetera. I didn't know that you were a sailor. There it is. I'm, I'm not, I just play one on the radio, apparently. Okay, there oh, we go. No, that's a whole different thing. Uh, thanks for that question, Roy. And you know what? While Roy is not completely right, we actually do have some questions. We have burned through a lot of them. And uh, guess what? That means we have this rare opportunity for people like Roy and you to get your questions answered on the Magnify Money Line. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail, and uh, you could have your question answered fairly, fairly quickly now compared to most times. I thought that was a good one as well. So we're going to send... Roy some, uh, send Roy some swag. All right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, there's a lot of people to thank, but mostly big thanks to you for taking the time to hang out with OG and I, we know your time is incredibly valuable and we love the fact that you decide to spend it with us. So thank you very much for that. If you know somebody who should be a stacker should hear some of the messages from today, maybe somebody needs that high five right now, forward them this episode tell them that they should give it a listen and maybe you can help somebody else get better with their money. But if you need to be better with your money, OG and his team are taking clients. If you need to think bigger, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. And that's the link to interface with his team to see how they can help you make better decisions the rest of this year and next year. All right. I think that's going to do it for today. Doug, you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take some advice from Mel Robbins. By reminding yourself that you can be successful and sticking to your game plan, you'll gain the confidence to conquer whatever mountain you're facing. Second, from our headlines, annuities? While the product type isn't bad, there are plenty of bad actors still out there hawking expensive products. Buyer beware. But we're excited about the future. Fingers crossed. But the big lesson... 
Ask Joe's mom financial terms at your own risk. Income statement? Oh, she said, yeah, I have income. That's my statement. EBITDA? No thanks. I already ate. And the worst one, when I asked her about liabilities, uh, let's just say she wasn't very kind to old Doug. Time to wash more windows. Big thanks to Mel Robbins for joining us. You'll find Mel's book, The High Five Habit, wherever books are sold. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul Cihai. Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe, and it's all free. It's called The Stacker, and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and remember, stackers, whatever you do, give 100%, unless, of course, you're giving blood. I think we've got to pull the pull the uh, cover back. <clears throat> Your hotel room sucks compared to mine. <laughs> we are recording this in Austin because uh, we're here for FinCon. And we actually just recorded Wednesday's episode mm-hmm. and then ran up here with a cold sandwich that OG was nice enough to get me. Uh, well, you paid for half. Oh, good. Okay. But you got it. So it's thank coming you. out of your profit. You still, you said profit. Is profit a euphemism? You say that euphemistically. We're profitable. Cool. Profit. I mean, one year in five. Yes. Maybe next year. <laughs> Hopefully. But yes, OG got the upgrade and we were at your- As OGs do. We were at your place yesterday. I walk into OG's hotel room. It has a foyer. You can't go right to the bedroom when you get into a hotel room. Where, where do you take your shoes off? And that's where that's where you keep the the uh, there's there's coffee there. Uh, Every hotel room has coffee these days. Yeah, but it's right in that foyer area. And then you step 
into this room that has these big windows. He's way up high and uh, has a nice sofa and a desk and a big, big screen TV. And that's not the bedroom. Then you go into yeah. the next room yeah. and there's the bedroom. Yeah. And down the hall is the bathroom. And, and my bathroom in a normal sized hotel bathroom has what you would expect. The toilet, a shower and a sink. OG has a bathtub. I, I think it's like a whirlpool bathtub too, isn't it? Does Probably. it have jets? I'll have to check. And then the, uh, you get to take a, like a rose petal bath. By myself. It's <laughs> so awesome. And then, and then you've, and you've got the, sh- your bathroom, I think is the size of my hotel room. It's close. Yeah. I mean, you got to have the double vanity, you know, just in case. Oh, you get double vanity. You have the double vanity. Duh. <laughs> and two showers. <laughs> Big long hallway to the bathroom. Yeah. What the hell is this? Yeah. He's like, yeah, you want to go to the executive lounge for uh, hors d'oeuvres come before eat, we- Come and eat some mozzarella sticks, courtesy of JW <laughs> himself. He made them in the kitchen. Once we realized that JW Marriott was making mozzarella sticks, we knew that we could seriously make money on this arbitrage. Exactly. I can eat more mozzarella sticks than they can make. I don't know if it's like a sign of success, though, or not. Like, look at me. I've got this big hotel room. I also stay 72 nights away from home. Every <laughs> My year. family never sees me. One one quarter of the year I spend in hotel rooms. I know. Look at how amazing my life is. I don't get all jealous about the business people that travel all the time with their upgrades anymore. Like I used to be. Oh, man, I wish I was that person. Well, and- to be honest, I haven't traveled much at all in the last year, but <clears throat> much like every airline company Marriott has done the same thing, which they've just like extended, you know, all of your credits and stuff. So I have all this pile of like, you know, the credit card free nights, the free upgrade, like all those things have just piled up over the last two and a half years of not very much travel. So, you know, might as well use them. Tonight I'm hosting the Plutus Awards. Do I have to come? No. Thank God. No. The, uh, we might win something though. We are up for most entertaining podcast. Just most entertaining. They've changed the awards now so that it could be blog, social media, whatever. But we're up for most entertaining. Because I thought we couldn't win anymore. We we can't win best podcast. We are ineligible because we've won if we it. we do win, can I have the trophy? You're only supposed to win it once. We won it twice. Obviously. Um, anyway, you didn't answer my question. Can you have the trophy? Yeah. Yeah. You have the other ones. Yeah. You know, I owe you a trophy, by the way. I do have a trophy of yours at my house. It's been at my house for like four years. It was for best multi-host podcast. They had it for one year and we won it. And did you get two trophies? I did. I got two trophies. (laughs) You're such an ass. It's been sitting in my house for like four years. This whole time, I never have any recognition whatsoever. All I want is a a participation trophy and you've been holding it back for damn near half a decade. It looks like a participation. You've seen them. They look like a participation trophy. Well, I mean, but I I mostly want the money. It looks like the prize money. It looks like we finished third place in U8 soccer. <laughs> totally. Out of three teams. It, it, it totally does. And I love the Plutus Awards, and I think it's fun and it is an honor, but the actual trophy is uh, is a little small. It's really about the, it's really about the money. Small place. <laughs> All the additional money. Yeah, it's good. So I've got a hazmat suit over there. I can talk about this freely here because uh, they're over by the time people hear this. I've got, I'm, I'm coming out in a hazmat suit, asking if it's safe for us to come out. And then later on, I have to change into this $100 bill outfit. And I'm the, the, the game is, is that I'm complaining with my co-host, Natalie Torres Haddad, about uh, having to wear all these 
costumes. So what I'm doing is I'm channeling my inner OG and I'm just going to bitch about everything the entire I don't complain about anything night. ever. <laughs> You're complaining about me complaining. Well, true. I'm ready to go home though. Let's do it. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 